Welcome to the 227th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week three of college football, our look at week two of the NFL, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in with that full agenda with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went two and two, with his weekend series predictions. In NFL action, Patrick went one and three with his weekend predictions. And in college football, Patrick went two and two with his predictions, bringing him to a combined five and seven for the weekend predictions. That raises his overall record or brings his overall record to an 802 and 539 record. That's a 59.8 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought I had a pretty good week um, in terms of picking the right games, games that were going to be close, but I didn't have a great week in terms of results. Mostly that came from the NFL where I could have had a 500 week if one of the two overtime games that I picked um, was correct. But interestingly enough, I think this might be a first. If we go back to my MLB predictions, every single team swept or got swept. I don't think that's ever happened before. That's just very out of the ordinary. Um, Even just for four sweeps to happen in the same weekend, I feel like it's just rare no matter what the teams are, but these teams are close. Uh, the Blue Jays are fighting for a wild card spot. They swept the Red Sox. They got that one right. The Dodgers swept the Mariners, which after the second game, they clinched the division. And even without the perfect lineup on Sunday, they still swept the Mariners who are fighting for a wild card spot. And speaking of fighting for a wild card spot, the Diamondbacks swept the Cubs, um, which was a big result because the Diamondbacks came into that series, I believe two and a half games back of the Cubs and ended up actually ahead of the Cubs by the end of it. Uh, and then the Marlins swept the Braves. I got those last two ones wrong. Um, the Marlins, by the way, put up a ton of runs in the series. I think 16 runs or so on Sunday and 14 the day before, I believe. Um, just ridiculous production from their offense. Um, but then in the NFL, two overtime games didn't quite go my way. I'm not too upset about that, but the Seahawks beat the Lions 37-31 in overtime. That one I got wrong. Uh, the Titans beat the Chargers 27-24 in overtime. I also got that one wrong. Uh, and then the Ravens beat the Bengals 27 to 24, which was another close game, but didn't get that one quite right. And then the Chiefs beat the Jaguars 17 to nine. That was the one I did get right this week. So overall, you know, both of the teams that lost actually, I, well, the Seahawks lost or the Seahawks won, excuse me, because they got the coin toss, went down and scored a touchdown. The Titans, on the other hand, the Chargers did get the ball first, but the Titans actually stopped them and then um, kicked the field goal. So uh, that one, I will say. I got one, I got half and half on the coin toss, but the teams I predicted just didn't quite do what they needed to do. Um, and then in college football, Missouri had a walk-off 60-yard field goal to beat Kansas State, number 15 Kansas State, I should say, 30 to 27. I got that one wrong, but um, I will say I'm gonna give myself credit preseason because I did have Missouri winning that game uh, in the preseason and my overall preseason predictions are looking pretty good in terms of uh, that team because it was a little bit high on them despite a tough schedule just playing in the SEC. But looks like they're going to get to the seven-win benchmark that I have them uh, overachieving to get to. This was kind of the most important game to get there, honestly, because uh, they can now still go four and five in the SEC, which isn't that hard considering the division they're in. Um, but that's a different story for later. Uh, number 20, North Carolina beat Minnesota 31-13. Uh, we, we can say this, the slate this weekend was not amazing. That's why I even have an unranked versus unranked game on here next week. There are seven ranked games though, for me to pick. So, uh, safe to say I'll have a lot of 
interesting predictions for that one. Um, but this game, I don't think it was necessarily supposed to be super, super close, but both these teams are pretty good. Uh, North Carolina, definitely not like a top 10, top 15 team, in my opinion. Um, but Minnesota kind of just on that fringe of the top 25, so they're able to keep this game close. Uh, well, sorry, <laughs> they weren't able to keep this game close, but the, at least the expectation was that it would be somewhat close. Um, and then Florida upset number 11, Tennessee, 29-16. Uh, everybody knows from our preseason podcast that I'm not too high on Tennessee at all. Um, and I'm not going to say that this proves me right because they can still win a lot of games, but um, I thought that they would have at least one slip up that they wouldn't have had last year just because they are a worse team this year. Um, and then also lose to the usual suspects, Alabama and Georgia, although they might beat Alabama at this point. Both of those teams are kind of not looking too good overall. Um, and then BYU beat Arkansas 38 to 31. That game had a crazy last play where Arkansas tried about as many laterals as you could possibly get. Um, but in the end, we're not able to come up with it. I think there was a penalty anyway that made it so it wouldn't have counted. Um, but credit to BYU for going on the road and beating Arkansas. It's hard for teams to go do that. Um, but that's it's honestly crazy that BYU was able to go on the road, beat an SEC team, uh, proving before they even play a Big 12 game that they are more than capable of winning against those really, really big teams on the road. Um, so that was a big proven, proving grounds game for BYU. Um, and we'll see what happens in the rest of the season with both of those teams. But overall, not too mad about the predictions, but obviously not too happy either because I went un under 500. So that's never good. All right. Well, we'll see how you do with your weekend predictions uh, for next week. If you can get over that 500 mark uh, for the week, uh, those predictions will be posted on our website on Thursday. Uh, just talked about some college football predictions. Let's stick in the world of college football uh, and look at week three action, starting with the best games of the past week. And I think I know what number one is. Well, the number one game has to be the one that went to double overtime. That would be Colorado against Colorado State. Uh, they won Colorado, excuse me, won 43 to 35 in the end. But let's be honest, it was a sloppy road to get there. Um, and frankly, this team looks like the preseason team that we thought they were, um, a team that would go to overtime with Colorado State. Uh, but that's what they looked like this week. I don't know how that reflects on Nebraska and TCU. I, I know I'm not very confident in Nebraska. I can say that for sure. Um, but, you know, TCU picked up a conference win this week. So over Houston. So that 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 that's kind of I guess that's their saving grace that they should feel good about that. But then again, Houston also lost to Rice. Um, so I don't know how good Houston is. But anyway, um, that's a kind of a side tangent. But look. I don't think that Colorado is going to be a top 15 team. I think they're ranked pretty accurately. I think we both have them lower than this, but not by that much. Um, but definitely shouldn't be rising in the polls this week. I think they might have just based on the other games around them, but I don't think that that was deserved at all. Um, but at the same time, they're a good team. I think they're I think good is is a perfect way to describe them. I don't exactly see them going on the road and pulling off upsets on the road over better teams. But, you know, could they maybe could they maybe be the blemish on USC schedule? Maybe. Sure. They play a similar style of score a bunch and maybe not necessarily having the best defense on either side of that game. Um, and now it's going to be at 9 a.m., which is going to be even more interesting or 10 a.m. local time, but 9 a.m. for USC time. Um, but look, they're they're an OK team. I don't think they're going to be a playoff contender at all. I think I don't I don't really think people have said that. I think it's just that 
when you think about the buzz that's around this team, it doesn't feel like the buzz of a team ranked 18th. It feels like the buzz of a team ranked fifth. But um, still, like I said, don't think they're a playoff team. Uh, I think this game proves that Washington State hammered Colorado State when they played them in Colorado State. Yeah, they had a bye to prepare for this game, but they did a lot of dumb things leading up to this game in terms of getting Colorado fired up. And still, after committing 16 or 17 penalties, whatever it was, still had a chance to win the game at the end. Um, but then, speaking of teams that didn't really look like themselves this week, number three, Florida State almost lost to Boston College. Uh, it was a close game to start with. Florida State down 7-3 to three through the end of the first quarter uh, and only up 17-7 to seven at the half. They did pull away in the third quarter and were eventually up 31-16. Uh, to 16. But the fact of the matter is, Boston College came climbing back in the fourth quarter, scored 13 unanswered in that quarter to make it a two-point game by the end but 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 florida state of course able to come up with a victory at the end uh boston college played some sloppy played some sloppy football they definitely could have scored uh more had it not been for their penalties and miscues but the fact of the matter is florida state escaped with a victory they got a road conference win uh i would say there's probably a good amount uh, of anticipation for their game against clemson that's maybe why they weren't playing so well just thinking ahead a little bit um, they got caught slipping this week, but they didn't lose, which is the most important thing. Uh, it obviously keeps their playoff hopes alive. And, you know, it seems stupid to be talking about that week three. But, I mean, you look at how it turns out in the past. It's rare for one-loss teams to get in there unless it's a non-conference loss and they win their conference championship. So, you know, the teams out there like Alabama and Tennessee, yes, they still have a chance, but they really have to be flawless for the rest of the season. So you can't take a loss like this. If you're Florida State, especially to Boston College, who has struggled against some pretty bad teams to open up the season. Um, and then you have Georgia. They only won 24 to 14. I mean, I, I, I will say they were losing 14 to three at the half. So that's a big comeback from them um, to come up with the 14 points they needed in the third quarter unanswered uh, to go up 17 to 14 and then get the last touchdown they needed to kind of ensure the game to go up 24 to 14. But this was closer than people expected for sure. I mean, South Carolina. They lost to North Carolina by a, probably about the same margin. I forget exactly what the number was, but they were, they're were they a good team, but they shouldn't be competing with the number one team in the country on the road. I think that is something anybody can agree on, and I think Georgia is just a little bit weaker than they have been in years past. Definitely a tiny bit on the defensive end, but not by much. Um, but on the offensive end, it doesn't feel like they're as dynamic as they were with Stetson Bennett or even going back to the Jake Fromm teams. I don't think that Carson Beck has been um, as good as those guys so far but the thing is that can always change um it's early in the season it's early in his for it, it's it's his first few games of his career in terms of actually starting so it's not exactly surprising that they've been a little bit rusty i guess you could say and taken a while to kind of get their offense flowing in some games but i think they'll figure it out and i still think right now they are the deserving number one although they didn't play like it this week yeah, a couple of uh, top-rated teams didn't didn't play like uh, their ranking suggested. Some of them on the road, some of them, especially with new quarterbacks, right? Uh, new quarterbacks in college football make things a little more difficult. All right, well, let's go over to the teams uh, who were the most impressive uh, in Week 3 as opposed to maybe some of those top teams that didn't perform up to their rankings. Well, you said those top teams, I think, obviously, the ones I the two I mentioned, and then also you have Michigan and Alabama who won by decent margins but didn't play their best games um, against bad teams. But – this game by LSU was the opposite. Uh, number 14 LSU went on the road and beat a 2-0 SEC team, Mississippi State, 
41 to 14, just an offensive onslaught. They were up 10 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. They were up 24 to seven at the half. They were up 34 to seven going into the fourth. It, this game was just not close. I mean, it's that simple. Um, I didn't expect them to come out on fire like this, but yet here we are. Um, they just played really, really well, and they deserve a lot of credit for just going out there and proving people wrong that they were kind of a disaster of a team after losing a Florida State. And I just think that LSU is a better team than people were giving them credit for after the loss. I mean, I think that's evident based on the fact that they're ranked 14th in the AP poll, and we've still kept, I've still kept them in my top 10. I think people overreacted a lot to that Florida State loss because it was a lot closer than it looked on paper based on all the mistakes LSU made. It could have been, they could have won the game. Um, but we've talked about that before, so I won't talk about it too much there. Um, but I think this week they came, they came away looking like one of the more impressive teams. Um, however, I would not have them ahead of a team like Penn State, uh, who is number seven right now. They beat Illinois 30 to 13. I'm more so impressed with this team's defense than their offense. Um, they had 20 points off of turnovers in this game, I think off of four or five takeaways, which that is the reason they won the game. They did not win the game because they were dynamic on offense. They won the game because their defense was staunch all game long. It was impossible for Illinois to score, and I don't think Illinois has a great offense in the first place. Um, but, you know, it didn't really look like – I will say Penn State's offense made Illinois' defense look a little more like last year's teams that – like last year's Illinois team than Kansas did. But at the same time, those turnovers just killed Illinois and Penn State. That's still something they can live off of. They don't have to be a completely elite offensive team to be an elite team overall. I just don't think there are going to be – a team that can take down Michigan and Ohio state in the same year, if they can't get to that level offensively, because those two teams are clearly still on a higher level offensively than Penn state is um, right about now, uh, just because they don't need the turnovers to spring their offense open. And really Ohio state didn't prove that in the first game, but in the few games since then they have. So I trust them to be better. Um, then you have North Carolina. They beat Minnesota. Uh, by 18, I would just say just by margin, I didn't really get a chance to watch much of this game, but just by margin, um, that's a good win for them. I think North Carolina needed to kind of send the message after the Appalachian State game that they were here to actually play a good year this year after, you know, they got the win over South Carolina. They looked great, but then the App State barely, you know, barely won that game in overtime. Um, and that didn't look very good for them. But, you know, they might have just been looking ahead to Minnesota, taking it lightly after they had the win over the big team in week one. Um, and it looked like now the team that we thought that they were um, in week three. So good for North Carolina to bounce back in that one. And then you have number eight, Washington, 40, who beat Michigan State 41 to seven. They were up 41 to nothing at the end of the third quarter. Washington, just all out dominance, um, asserting that when they join the Big Ten, they will be a force to be reckoned with. Um, because although Michigan State is not necessarily in the top tier of the Big Ten, I can name a few teams who are perennially worse than Michigan State. So uh, Washington will easily be able to destroy all those teams, just like the rest of the top teams. And really, I think this is the one team that I always want to move up in my poll, and I just don't have the space to because I can't do it when the teams ahead of them have still won. But man, is it tempting. I mean, I moved them over Texas this week because Texas struggled a little bit against Wyoming. But the fact of the matter is, this team easily could be a top five team. Uh, they could be, a t they easily could be a playoff team. Um, and I believe that there are some AP voters who have moved them up into that kind of range. But that that kind of mix after, I mean, well, 
so far it's assumed that it's Georgia and Michigan, but that's only, that's really based off of last year. And if you went performance only, Washington might be actually at the top of the country at that point. Um, but that kind of whole mix after number three, including Florida state, I think is just kind of, they're all really one giant pack, Florida state, Penn state, Washington, all those teams. Um, so, and Texas too. So I like Washington out of a lot of those teams. I like them more than Penn State, but at the same time, just a really impressive win to go on the road and do that if you're Washington this week. Yeah, Reese Davis actually announced that he has two teams in college football that he trusts right now, and one of them is Georgia, and the other one is Washington. So uh, some college football experts agreeing with your thoughts there. All right, let's move to the biggest upsets of week three. Well, I talked about it a little bit already, but BYU beat Arkansas 38-31, to uh, and Florida beat number 11 Tennessee 29-16. to don't need to get into either of those too much because we talked about them earlier. Um, but I will get into the most confusing team. You talked about Reese Davis's teams or t- teams that he trusts. I, I don't trust Cincinnati, and here's why: they lost in overtime this week to Miami of Ohio. Okay, Miami of Ohio is a good team. I have them winning the MAC, I believe, or at least at the top of the conference. So I, I will say that they're a good team. They can definitely put up some wins this year, but they're not a team that's good enough to beat Cincinnati. And Cincinnati just went on the road and beat Pitt. And I was very impressed with that win. I thought that was a really good win by them. Um, And I think they also won their first game by like 50 or 60 points, which it wasn't against a good team. But still, that was not the same team that came out against Miami of Ohio. And all of a sudden, now they are two and one um, on the season. And now they're looking like a team that will be at the bottom of the Big 12 rather than near the top in a pretty down year across the board in that conference. Um, And by the way, BYU is now looking like they could be somewhere in the middle or near the top. Um, And part of that is because Oklahoma State lost at home 33 to 7 to South Alabama. So everyone who discredited Tulane for losing to Ole Miss with a backup quarterback and didn't give them any credit for beating South Alabama, for hammering South Alabama in week one, you should turn the other way right now because Not many teams can beat Big 12 teams by 26 on the road. Yes, Oklahoma State isn't isn't necessarily the best team. Obviously, I know that. Um, But at the same time, South Alabama was not – South Alabama was actually favored in this game, which I think is crazy. Um, You don't often see teams from those types of conferences favored over Big 12 teams. And Oklahoma State still beat Arizona State, so it's not like they're a terrible team. Arizona State definitely might be at the bottom of the Pac-12, but – they're still good enough to beat power five teams. So South Alabama is proving that they're also good enough to do that. And they're doing it by a convincing margin. So maybe this is a year where they could even slide into uh, the top group of five ranking. It would be hard considering Tulane did beat them. And that's probably one of the top contenders to uh, be in that conversation other than them. But we'll see what happens as the year unfolds. Um, and we'll see where that team goes. But South Alabama was a team that preseason a lot of people liked in terms of maybe a 10-win team um, out of a weaker conference, but they proved it this weekend. Um, that's just a crazy upset. I don't know what Oklahoma State is doing. I don't know what their plan is for the future. I know they were playing three or four different quarterbacks against Arizona State, so I, I don't think anything is really set in stone for them, and I think they're going to struggle in the Big 12 season. Yeah, you mentioned a couple teams that were upset maybe after letdowns, after uh, some big big wins or road trips and things like that. I don't think South Alabama is going to be a playoff contender. Um, and then. Patrick, you left off your best deep stat of the week, which is as a result of Florida beating Tennessee. Um, Joe Milton is now 0-2 in starts versus Graham Mertz. I think you're the only guy that is picked true. up on that stat. All right. No, no, I think Let, they actually showed it on the broadcast. They actually showed the highlights of him throwing a pick six where he stared down his wide receiver so much that the linebacker looked like the wide receiver and it was a pick six against Wisconsin. But um, 
Yeah, that Michigan 2020 Patrick's season. Patrick's referring to Joe Milton. Yeah. That Michigan 2020 season is uh, very, very odd. Lost media at this point. Um, but, and by the way, Graham Mertz being good at Wisconsin was also not seen beyond 2020 because they kind of ran him out of town last year. So, yeah, very interesting matchup of two quarterbacks who both got ran out of Big Ten schools that haven't necessarily been known for elite quarterback play recently and went to schools with a lot of expectations. But I have my thoughts about those two teams. I don't think either of them is very good, but that's a different story for another time. Yes, don't think they're very good because of the quarterback play, which is all important in college football. All right, well, quarterback's also important in the NFL. Um, Let's look at the NFL with the closest games of week two. Yeah, you can start with good quarterback play in the first overtime game. We talked about this one earlier a little bit, but Geno Smith was a good bounce back week. He was terrible against the Rams, especially in the second half. I'm just playing way under expectations. That's not what he's supposed to do for the Seahawks. Uh, But this week he bounced back. They were strong on offense. Jared Goff had a great game too. Um, Just no defense in this game, which that was the same thing that happened last year. Not surprising, kind of a staple of the lions at least that they are very much so an offensive team and this year they their hopes were built on the fact that their defense could just be average um and their offense would be elite because they have a ridiculous amount of weapons uh best one of the best tight ends in the draft if not the i I guess second best to dalton kincaid but they have sam laporta um they have david montgomery they have jameer gibbs they have a Monterey St. Brown. They have ridiculous weapons all over the place. Jameson Williams will come back from his suspension eventually. Jared Goff is also a very, very capable quarterback, as we know, uh, especially when you give him that good of an offensive line and those receivers, because honestly, he probably has better weapons around him than he did on some of the Rams teams uh, that he almost got to the Super Bowl or the one that he did take to the Super Bowl. It's very possible. Um, but the, Se- the Seahawks, though, did well to avoid that dreaded 0-2 start. Only the Bengals out of the last 24 teams to start 0-2 since 2018 have made it to the playoffs. Uh, so you don't want to do that. Um, and the Seahawks were able to successfully avoid that. But teams who couldn't avoid that, one of these teams is going to have to be 0-2. One of them is going to be 1-1. It was the Chargers who came away 0-2. Um, this time, making Ryan Tannehill look like, I don't know, prime Ryan, Ryan Tannehill from like two years ago. Um, but look, the Chargers just, I, I just don't get Brandon Staley. I'm going to I'm gonna honestly throw it at him. Um he goes for it like on fourth and six on the 40 yard line at the most random times of the game. And then on fourth and two from like the 40, where you're not going to get much ground from a punt and you're not going to kick a field goal or you could, frankly, you could just kick a field goal from 57. I don't know what, what type of NFL kicker can hit from 57. Uh, but if they can't, then you should probably get a new kicker. Uh, but look, he doesn't go for it on fourth and two. And it's just so weird because he used to be the ultra aggressive coach that always went for it. And now it seems like some moments he's going for it when it makes no sense. And then when it makes all the sense in the world to go for it, especially if you are an aggressive coach, he's just punting, which is really strange to me. Um, and the chargers just, I, I, this team's just collapsing again. I mean, early on to be Owen two. I know they didn't have Austin Eckler in this game, but the fact of the matter is Derrick Henry didn't have, didn't even top hundred rushing yards and they still lost to the Titans. That shouldn't be something that happens. Um, So just embarrassing by the Chargers, honestly. Um, And then, speaking of embarrassing, the Broncos are now 0-7 in their last seven games with a halftime lead. Yes, I said that correctly, and yes, you heard that correctly. Um, For some reason, this team can't close out games. Uh, They were up 21-14 to at the half over the Commanders, and they completed a last second, not even last second, literally no time left, Hail Mary, to get this game to a two-point game. The Commanders were up 35 to 27. 
Um, but in the end, the Broncos miss two point conversion, and instead they go down to zero and two, and the Commanders move to two and zero, which was uh, something that I totally kind of flew under the radar. But at the same time, they played the Broncos and the Cardinals, so uh, hold your horses on that team maybe being a divisional contender. They still are in the same division with the Eagles, and they haven't played anybody yet. Um, but the Dolphins, on the other hand, they played two decent teams. They sent the Patriots and the Chargers to 0-2, the Chargers by beating them week one and the Patriots by beating them this week. Um, I will say the Patriots made this game kind of interesting at the end. It was really boring in the first half because it wasn't close. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, they kind of went into this no-huddle offense, and Mac Jones seemed very comfortable running it, uh, and he played better this week um, behind kind of that no-huddle offense, uh, bringing it to a 24-17 to game. It was a lot closer than it could have been at the beginning of the game, but the Dolphins still had the offensive production they needed to end up with the win. Uh, and then you have the Giants. They were being shut out at half by the Cardinals. They were down 20 to nothing, came back, scored 31 points in the second half to win 31 to 28 on a last second field goal over the Cardinals. They desperately needed to avoid the 0-2 start, especially considering that the Cardinals were one of their first two games. Um, you, you can't go 0-2. I don't care who you played in the first game if you have the Cardinals there and you expect to be a playoff team. Um, but then speaking of 0-2, the Bengals, I said they were the only team to make it after starting 0-2 since 2018. Well, they're going to have to do it again because uh, the Ravens beat them 27-24. to We talked about that earlier. I'm liking the way Lamar Jackson looks. It looks like uh, meeting his demands on the contract and getting him real receivers for once, uh, it pays off. Imagine that. You give your quarterback good receivers, uh, your quarterback's elite, and he plays like an elite quarterback. Who, who would have thought of that concept? Um, although, then again, Joe Burrow is not necessarily playing elite right now, and he has elite receivers, but he's a little injured, and that's pretty obvious. Um, I think they'll be able to turn it around by the end of the year, but it'll be tough this year uh, in that division, although I, I can still say that I, I think these two teams are the top two teams in that division after what I saw on Monday night with the Steelers and the Browns, the 26-22 to 22 gutsy victory by the Steelers um, over the Browns, who lost Nick Chubb in the middle of this game. What a weird game. The Browns went for two on both of the touchdowns they scored. They got it both times. Um, but 22, they picked the oddest way to get there. Uh, and then the Steelers just kind of scored a lot of defensive touchdowns. I mean, that's really all I can say. I think they actually only had defensive – or they had one long George Pickens touchdown. Um, and other than that, they only scored defensive touchdowns in this game, which is crazy. Um, the first play from scrimmage was a pick six by Deshaun Watson. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter when the Browns were leading – um, they fumbled the ball and the Steelers got a scoop and score to take the lead. So one offensive touchdown for the Steelers, but 26 points uh, to take that victory. And then you have the Saints who beat the Panthers 20 to 17. I like how their defense is looking. And I think that I almost put them on most impressive, but the game ended up close because of the garbage time touchdown that the Panthers scored. So I kept it uh, here instead. But look, I think Derek Carr, he's not Drew Brees, obviously. This is not a Super Bowl contending team. But in that division, I really feel secure about the Saints just because Derek Carr has been there before. He's been in the playoffs before, uh, although he's only been once or maybe twice. Um, but look, I, I think in that offense, he can command it well enough that with their weapons and their defense, especially, which is really, really strong, I don't see any way that a team like the Falcons is going to come up and take this division from them. And obviously the Panthers are still in rebuild mode uh, with you know seven or eight new additions all across the board on offense. Um, and their number one pick obviously being used on a quarterback, Bryce Young. So the Saints definitely taking advantage of an inexperienced quarterback coming out with a strong performance and getting the victory on the second Monday night game, which was also really weird to watch. 
Yeah, uh, strange uh, doubleheader setup. We're used to one game starting and then the next game's uh, that game ending and the next game starting. And here you had that weird overlap. Um, all right, well, let's move over to the most impressive teams of week two. I gave the Chiefs uh, a look on this board just because it wasn't a close game, um, but it was worth talking about. And the reason why is because the Chiefs defense all of a sudden gets Chris Jones back and they look like a great defense again, which is crazy because one guy should not make that impact. Um, Travis Kelsey only had, I think he had four receptions, 26 yards, a touchdown. That's, it's a good game, um, for a tight end, but not, not, not up to Kelsey standards. Um, of course he will be back to better standards probably when he can actually play more plays, um, and be total. I, th- I don't know if he had pain throughout the game, but I believe they said the reports in practice were that he was be able to run pain-free, but you never know how that conveys to the game itself. Um, but still, the Chiefs coming out with the victory over the Jaguars, a great performance on defense to hold the Jaguars to just three field goals in the game. Um, and then you have the Buccaneers. They had two very, very important interceptions, one basically to seal the game and one pick six that uh, happened when the Bears were down by three and needed to drive to win the game. Um, but, you know, if there was a least impressive teams, I would put the Bears here instead of putting the Bucks on the most impressive teams because – I forget who it was, but someone called out in the press conference from the Buccaneers defense that the Bears tried to run the same play three different times uh, in inside of their own five. And that's why they were able to get a pick six and jump the route because they ran it literally three times out of the same formation in a row um, with, I, I guess, one of the downs counted. And then one of them was a, a false start, I believe. Um, and then the third one was a pick six. So not very good. Um, from the Bears overall Justin Fields has not shown the improvement that a lot of people thought he would um, and you know still missing wide open receivers I mean there's the play there's one specific play that people are showing where he goes through his progressions he doesn't see the open receiver because he doesn't look to the left side of the field so he doesn't see DJ Moore he looks over to the right side of the field where one receiver is breaking open and he could throw that throw with anticipation and probably get it fitted into that window and most NFL quarterbacks would and instead he looks down takes the ball down, runs in the middle of his line, and gets sacked for a loss of three yards. So uh, there are a lot of things going wrong with the Bears, uh, but the Buccaneers still playing impressive on defense. And I got to say, 2-0 for them is not something I expected to happen. Um, but yet, here we are. Um, and then you have the Bills. They won 38-10. to I mean, this is just this was just an offensive onslaught. The Raiders are not a good enough team to compete in a game with the Bills, honestly, um, especially an angry Bills team. But Josh Allen said it, you know, sometimes he likes the feeling of losing just because of the fact that you come out and you play, you just play better. You play harder. You make sure that you don't let it happen again. Um, and I feel like the whole team embodied that this week with how they played against the Raiders. Not a close game at all. And then finally, going all the way back to Thursday night, the Eagles beat the Vikings 34-28. to I was impressed with how the Eagles just, they were struggling offensively passing the ball. So they just decided, you know what, we're just going to run the ball. And then when they started running, they sucked all the defense in for the Vikings and got some really, really big plays. Um, and as a result, that is how they ended up winning the game. Um, so a very impressive performance by the Eagles to just establish their dominance on the ground and then use it to make their passing game even better. Um, overall, looking like the same Eagles team from last year. OK, any other thoughts about the NFL from a week two action? I would say that the old, the usual suspects are just back up to their old tricks. You know, with the healthy Lamar, the Ravens are back to the top of the division. It's not really close. Um, the Chargers are just randomly losing games that are close, which seems to always happen. And then the Bills are dominant on offense, which seems to be a constant every year at this point. All right. With the NFL uh, coverage wrapped up, let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball, where the season is starting to wind down, the regular season at least. 
Let's do our weekly review of the MLB, starting, as always, in the American League East. Well, the AL East probably had the biggest regular season series of the year, uh, that being the Orioles against the Rays. That was not a series that maybe going into the season was supposed to determine a lot. Maybe a team fighting for a wild card berth, playing against a team that was fighting for a division win. But instead, it was a series that might have decided the division. Uh, the Rays came out. They won the first two games, made it a tie uh, in the AL West. But the Orioles came out and won the last two games of the series. Big response from them to win those games. Um, and as a result, you end up with the Orioles at 94 and 56 after yesterday, two and a half games up of the Rays. They were two games up at the end of the series, but they also beat the Astros yesterday. And I will say, uh, Cedric Mullins hit a three-run home run in the ninth inning yesterday to get them to that eight to seven victory. They were losing seven to five. So those last three games might have changed the season for the Orioles. There, there's not much time left. I mean, this season is it's just almost over. There's no other way to put it. There's a, we're 150 games in. There's only 12 games left um, for at least for the Orioles. And I think the Rays actually have 11 games left. So two and a half games in that small of a time frame. The Orioles play the Guardians and the Nationals and the Red Sox to close the season. So it's definitely not the hardest schedule. Um, no offense to those teams. Um, at least after the Orioles get through the Astros. Um, so this is the only kind of division race that's worth watching, I will say. They're, they're, the rest of them are kind of over other than the AL West, um, which definitely is a big other than. But we'll get to that in a second. And then the Rays play, had the Blue Jays twice. So uh, that's, uh, that's a tough schedule for the Rays because the Blue Jays are fighting for a playoff spot. And speaking of the Blue Jays, let's go ahead and start doing the wildcard talk. Um, they are in the second wild card spot right now, despite getting swept by the Rangers in the middle of the week uh, in a four-game series at home, the Rangers then decided they were going to turn around and start playing horrible again. Um, so they lost four games in a row uh, this week, and now all of a sudden they're tied with the Mariners for the third wild card spot. We'll get to that more in the AL West, but the Blue Jays now one game up of both of those teams after winning three in a row, six and four in their last 10. They gave their fans a heart attack, thought the season was over, and all of a sudden they bounced back like crazy by sweeping the Red Sox over the weekend right after that four-game sweep at the hands of the Rangers. So uh, we'll see what happens with them. As I said, they play the Rays twice at the end of the season, and then they play the Yankees. Their their season is literally Yankees, Rays, Yankees, Rays. Um, so, er, so we'll see what happens. Uh, that's kind of a tough schedule. The Yankees have been playing better since they've brought all their prospects up, honestly. they've They're now two games above 500, so I guess that's what I can say about the bottom of this division. And then uh, somehow after all that, the Yankees are going to end the season ahead of the Red Sox. The Red Sox have been on a tumble for a long time, three and seven in their last 10. They were the fifth team kind of in this wild card race for a lot of the season, but they have just fallen apart at the end here. Now they are a game under 500. Now they're even a game and a half back of the Yankees. Okay, let's move over to the AL Central. Well, this race should be clinched soon. I frankly don't know how it hasn't been yet, but the Twins are 79 and 72. Uh, they will have the worst record of the of any team in the playoffs, honestly, I think, at this point. Uh, maybe an NL wildcard team might have a worse record, but currently the three teams that are in position have the same record as the Twins or, a half a, or within a half a game. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Guardians, they are seven games back of the Twins at 72 and 79. That is why I'm saying I don't know how this hasn't been wrapped up yet. I don't think them or the Tigers, who are 70 and 80, are going to make a run to get to this division lead. Um, and, you know, to be honest, that's kind of all I got because it's a little bit of a boring division. And now that the kind of race is the race is almost over, I mean, seven games to make up in a 12 game span is just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, 
the Twins, they're going to wrap this up, this one up pretty easily. Uh, and I won't be surprised when they clinch the division probably sometime this week, maybe early next week, if if it's not this week. Okay, let's now move over to the American League West. The Astros are leading the AL West, but they are four and six in their last ten. Uh, they're eighty-four and sixty-seven overall. The Mariners have been playing really badly after they had that hot month of August, but it doesn't really matter because these teams are not separating themselves from each other. You thought the Rangers might be doing that when they win that series over the Blue Jays by sweeping them. And then all of a sudden they lose four in a row over the weekend. So, I mean, these teams, it's just like no one wants to be in the playoffs. The Mariners, by the way, got swept by a Dodgers team that in the final game of the series had already clinched the division and wasn't even playing their A-team lineup. I mean, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and J.D. Martinez, I think all didn't play on Sunday. And they still, and Will Smith, and they lost that game, which is just, you cannot do that. You just can't do that against a team when you are in the in the wild card race, you cannot lose to the that team. I don't care if it's the Dodgers. I mean, look, the Dodgers B team is not better than a wild card team's A team. Um, and then also, if you're the Rangers, losing, getting swept by the Guardians, and then losing the first game of the series to the Red Sox on Monday, uh, that's just embarrassing. I mean, after what they did to beat the Blue Jays, it looked like they were back as a prime wild card team, and all of a sudden. They and Seattle are tied for the final spot. They're six and four in their last 10. Yeah, that's okay. But they've lost four in a row, like I said. So not a strong result at the end of the season for either of these two teams. It'll be a really interesting race in the wild card, though, and in this division, because if the Astros keep playing like they're playing, one of these teams could just get hot and actually win this division. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting race, um, especially just because they have really three, there are three teams that are kind of fighting for the last two spots. I guess there's a chance that all three teams get in if the Blue Jays kind of choke at the end of the year, but we'll we'll see if that happens. I don't really think that's going to happen, and those teams shouldn't be banking on it either. Okay, let's move over now to the National League, and again, starting in the East. Well, we can now start talking about teams who have clinched their division. Uh, the Rays and the Orioles are the only teams to have clinched a playoff berth in the AL, but the Braves have now clinched both the divi- both the playoff berth and their division. Um, that was pretty predictable. They've still lost four games in a row, but they clinched it in the, in the early parts of last week. Um, and they allowed the Marlins to actually get back into the playoff race by getting swept by them. Um, but if you look at the wild card now, uh, the Marlins are a half a game back of the Reds and the Cubs who are tied for the third wild card um, and one and a half ahead of the Giants. The Phillies, I think, are the only safe team in the wild card currently. Uh, They are four games clear of the Diamondbacks who are are holding the second spot down. Um, But, you know, bottom of this division, you have the Mets and Nationals, pretty standard. Uh, But that's really all I got because you just have to talk about the wild card overall, and I don't want to spoil where the other teams are without getting to the divisions first. So uh, I'll move on to that with the Central, where the Brewers are pretty close to clinching. They're 84 and 66. They're six games up now on the Reds and the Cubs, who are tied. Um, But... It's interesting because the Cubs are two and eight in their last 10, just when you need them to play their best baseball to make sure they ensure their playoffs. But they had a very big cushion over the other teams. And all of a sudden they have lost five in a row and that cushion is gone. They are now tied for the final playoff spot with the Reds um, who are six and four in their last 10. That'll be interesting to see how that shakes out at the end of the season. Um, But those two teams, very prime players in the wild card, just like in the West, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants. The Diamondbacks, with their sweep of the Cubs, have moved into the second wild card spot, um, a place that they were a lot earlier in the year, uh, and actually higher than that. 
but now they are back. Um, I think, look, they had their month long slump and now that they've gotten over it, I think they're starting to play like a playoff team again. I think when we look at everything at the end of the year, I think this team will be in the playoffs and I think it will make sense that they were because the Cubs hot streak was about as long as the Diamondbacks big slump. And outside of that, the Cubs have not been as good as the Diamondbacks have been outside of those streaks. It's not even close. Um, So I think that the Diamondbacks outside of that six and 17 stretch or whatever, they've been one of the better teams in the national league. Um, I'd say outside of the Dodgers, the Braves and the Phillies, they might be the third, the fourth best team um, in terms of if you exclude that little slump of theirs, um, which of course isn't really fair because I'm sure the Brewers have had a slump of their own and that if you, you know, excluded that, then they would look better too. But look, this race is crazy. I mean, there are five teams fighting for the last two spots. Um, I think the Giants have kind of played themselves out of it a little bit. I don't think that roster wise, they have what it takes to compete with some of these teams either. And they don't have quite the momentum that the Diamondbacks, um, the Cubs, the Reds, or frankly, the Marlins have, but this is a fun race. I have no idea who's going to win. And I thought that the Cubs were at least secure and it was going to be a battle for that final spot. But now that they got swept by the Diamondbacks, now everything's up in the air. So what a late season collapse for the Cubs. But other than that, uh, just a fun race to watch and we'll just have to see where it goes. Okay. That wraps up our look at major league baseball. It also wraps up this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, September 26th, where we will once again, look back at Patrick's weekend predictions look at week four of college football action, review NFL week three action, and have our weekly review of Major League Baseball, which might have some of those uh, National League wildcard scenarios and tiebreaker discussion, but we'll see where that is in a week. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including the fourth and 24 college football poll that is posted every Monday, Patrick's Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday, Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday, And you can see how he's doing, as he mentioned earlier, with his predictions for the entire college football season that was posted a while ago. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.